Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, the last page, the last section. Uh, I think some of you would, uh, I'll just let you know a little bit about pastors, at least this one. Uh, As we come to the end of our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, you'd think it would be this big victorious thing in my heart that I preached through a book and I finished and I never feel that way. I never feel great about it. I always go, well, I'd like to go back and I'd like to touch on that again and this again. And even as I'm going to preach this message, I just want to warn you, uh, we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes next week too. Uh, we're going to talk about all uh, uh, kind of in shotgun form of going through some of the lessons that we've learned just to highlight those. And part of it is just so I can preach parts of this message next week, too, because I want you to hear it again. Um, And if you don't listen next week, it'll flow into the next week after that. (laughs) Actually, uh, after this, uh, some of you always want to know where the train is going, Uh, at least in my mind, uh, the the month of November, I'm going to be talking about some of the words of salvation. Um, I, I want us to, as we look to November and uh, we think about being thankful, uh, what greater, there's no greater time than to consider our own salvation and what it means to uh, be truly saved and what the gospel means to lives like ours. And so that's kind of where we're heading in the month of November. And then we'll probably uh, think about things of the birth of Jesus after that. How's that sound? Some of you are more confident now. You feel less agitated in your soul. Um, Speaking of that, as we think about uh, coming to this passage this morning, it's the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, some books of the Bible do this, but this one definitely does. Uh, Really, in this last section, it comes to this simple but powerful conclusion of all that we've heard. And If you've been with us in our study of the book of Ecclesiastes, um, you you realize that it hasn't been all that comfortable. It hasn't felt all that great. And sometimes even as you have left Sunday morning, uh, you may have felt like uh, some of the things that you treasured were taken away from you uh, in the morning service, not physically, but just in your mind. Uh, I want to tell you, I, I think about this often. Uh, even as the kids brought uh, Legos today, and maybe you've heard me say this before, uh, God's not interested in your plans. Uh, He's not interested in following your lead. Uh, In fact, much of the time, uh, He takes our creations that we have made, and He comes and He says, I got something much better. And He, with a smile on His face, kicks our creation, and it splatters everywhere and says, I've got something so much better for you. Um, I think that's the book of Ecclesiastes, some of the things that we treasure and hold to, some of the things that we've worked so hard on, some of the things that we have plotted and planned on our whole lives. And God says, they're worthless. They're worthless. Meaningless, meaningless. Uh, Some of the things that you've treasured and thought that was going to bring meaning to your life. And you say, if I just get that next step, that next level, then I will be happy. As we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we're reminded meaningless, meaningless, fleeting. 
And so uh, as we come to the end, I want to give you this last piece. It's so important uh, to uh, read and to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, but don't lose this last page. Don't lose these last verses because I think it brings the answer for you and for me. If the things that we have and want, and if those are meaningless, where is the meaning? What should we be doing? And that's really what I uh, seek to answer for you and share with you from the Word of God this morning. Uh, I know that sounds like a lofty goal, but uh, I'm not, I know God's already written this. And so I'm, I'm confident that we can get there this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find uh, words of delight and uh, uprightly uh, he wrote the words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and and like nails firmly fixed and are collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness, weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing. Whether good or evil. God we ask your blessing on your word. Uh, I ask that you would do that work in our hearts. uh, That makes for good soil. uh, That this would go in deeply. And would change us. And would grow. And would be. Um, uh, an anchor for us. God, we struggle in many ways. We struggle with seeking after meaning and meaningless things. We seek in building our own kingdom. And God, you know uh, what's best. You know your plan for us. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to embrace it this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Really just have two uh, points this morning, last thoughts uh, and concluding thought or thoughts. If you look down at verse 9, he uh, is really giving last credentials and really uh, this idea that uh, the writer, the writer, the preacher, the one who is uh, giving us uh, this message is not just giving us this message. Uh, he is the the one that uh, God has inspired. It's not just his word, but he's saying this is why you should listen or have listened uh, to, to this message. He says beyond being wise, uh, there are, uh, there's knowledge for the people. The teacher or the writer, the preacher, the, the, the one who gave this, he gave uh, this knowledge for the people. This message was for you and for me. This message, it's interesting. This isn't, uh, I know we struggle with this. This is a book. Uh, most of the time when we think of books, we think of 
uh, reading or educating. We, you know, if we were younger, some of us, if you think of books, you think of school, right? And school is all about education. But there's this one thing that uh, all kids said, and you said it when you're, when am I ever going to use this? You know, most likely in math. And there are a couple of you here today that actually used math after high school. You were the one, you were the problem. <laughs> you were the reason that we had to go to uh, learn math. Um, some of you are offended. Others of you are rejoicing in your heart right now that you've finally got an answer for that. This, this book, this, these words that were granted to us, that were inspired to us, are for us. They're knowledge for living. They're, they're the part that we need. It's instruction that we would make uh, choices as well as steps uh, that we need to make. So there's knowledge for the people. And as we look at this, we, we realize this was part of a process, especially in the early chapters. He, he talks about how he saw and how he witnessed and he saw these different things. And in verse 9, it says he he pondered and searched out and said in order many proverbs. It was a, a life pursuit of, uh, of most likely Solomon, like I shared with you before, that this was his life pursuit. I want to know. Uh, I want to know so that I might live differently. In verse 10, it says the teacher or the preacher, uh, the one who is sharing, uh, searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. Um, these words that we looked at are truth, are truth. Uh, it wasn't, it's interesting, um, you know, uh, s- some of you Dodger fans, uh, I'm glad you came this morning. Uh, you know, I was a little worried uh, if they, they lost that you wouldn't show up this morning. Uh, you'd be in depression, but it's interesting in sports and different places in life, there's mind games that are played. And, 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 People have these different things and they have these different slogans and uh, you can do it. You're the best. Just believe, picture you being successful and then you'll be successful. Um, I want to tell you that some of those things aren't true. They're not true. I wasn't connecting it to the Dodgers trying to beat the Red Sox this year. But I'm just saying that some of the things that we listen to and read, they're not true. And so as we look at uh, this message, really this long message in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's saying it's knowledge for living, but it's not just to help you get by. It's true. He sought to have the accurate thing and God inspired him to get this. And so as we look at this, we can have great confidence that this is truth for the people. In verse 11, we see this. The the words of the wise are like goads. They are collected sayings that are firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. The word goad is the idea of a, a prod that you'd use to move livestock. And some of you have felt that coming here Sunday morning that uh, you wanted to feel comfortable, you wanted to feel affirmed, and you felt poked. And you, you walked away agitated in your soul, hopefully not at the preacher, uh, this preacher. If you were, that's fine too. But, but uh, this picture that God is stirring you up, stirring you up. 
I think that it's important to connect in that passage. What does it say? Where is this goad? Where are these nails coming from? The one shepherd. The one shepherd. Um, We all struggle with being shaped uh, by different things in life, right? We have people that are pushing on us to try to make us be and do things. Some of you are thinking right now of family members, aren't you? Uh, you're thinking of them pushing on you and trying to shape you and manipulate you and push and prod so that you do what they want you to do. I want to tell you the sweet conviction and pressure that comes from the Word of God. You know where it comes from? Your shepherd who loves you so much. So if you're agitated in your soul, don't don't push back. Make sure you realize that uh, if there's pressure for you to change uh, of thoughts that maybe disagree with your thoughts. If you're feeling uncomfortable, ask the question, where's that, uh, that uncomfortable feeling coming from? He says the, the, these wise words are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. God's trying to move you to the place he wants you to be or keep you at the place where you need to be. And so you have this prodding and this nailing and this process where he wants you to be in a certain spot. And and this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. This picture for us is where does God want us? What does he want us to think? How does he want us to live? And then lastly, these are these writing credentials, these things to think about as we come to the end of our uh, message from the book of Ecclesiastes. He says in verse 12, this is a warning, be warned, my son, of uh, anything in addition to them or the making of many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. I don't know how many times uh, people joked about that in seminary. Uh, The making of many books, right? Uh, And... uh, it's still true today, right? We have one book, right? We have one book. And this book is uh, superior to any other book. Um, and the, the, collected, uh, the collected books that are the inspired word of God are supreme above all. And for us to be leery of anything after this, um, and the more distance there is from this book, uh, the, the more uh, we should push it away. The making of many books. It's interesting to me when this was written. Think about that. Um, there weren't that many books written at this time. It was very uh, expensive to have and to write books. There weren't people who, there weren't publishers in those days. Uh, there wasn't the printing press There weren't libraries like we have today. Uh, You could even say the the writing of many blogs as well, right? The words can be many. And and you think about this, and you think about how we chase after the solution to the problems of life. We search for it. We we look out and we say, oh, I'm going to find it. It's, it's, you know, somehow on Amazon, right? Right? Uh, there's somehow there's a book out there, a blog that's going to fix my life. I want to tell you, be warned, be weary, and and think through uh, 
I can chase after, I can read and I can read and I can read. But am I getting closer to what God wants for me? And he says, uh, be warned uh, after. Don't, don't add anything to this. Don't uh, place anything on its level. There is no end and much study wearies the body. Um, we have studied much, uh, but this is not meant just for study so that we can get smart. This is meant for life transformation. Which brings us uh to verse 13 which brings us to verse 13 by the way uh, before we move on uh be careful of your influence your influence on the people you're closest with really anybody um we're gonna get into really a simple answer to how to view life and some of us want people both family and friends and even people that we meet, to somehow obey us, to fear and obey us, to do what we want them to do. We, we play mind games and we manipulate, we pressure and we uh, say things in a certain way, hoping to get a response. We say things over and over again, over and over again, hoping that they won't forget our words and they'll do what we say. I want to. I want you to be real careful that you don't want to be the goad, right? You don't want to be the nails. You, you want to have your family, friends, every. You want them to not obey you, but to listen to the one shepherd, but that they would respond to him and not to you. Be careful. We come to this last thought, this uh, simple thought, and I, I, I say simple. Uh, most of the time when we feel overwhelmed and confused, there's too many answers, right? There's too many answers. Um, how many of you like true or false tests? Love them. You know, uh, before you even start, you have a 50-50 chance, right? You know, some of us have gotten 25% on a true-false test. It's bad news, you know, right? Math wasn't for us on that one. Uh, but we love true-false. The, the idea of uh, multiple guess, right? Uh, a, B, C, or D. What happens when there's A, B, C, D, and then you go the rest of the alphabet of options? And, and, and maybe for some of you, it's not just a matter of choosing one. It's the idea of the pressures of priorities, you say, you know, you're supposed to make a list of things to do. Some of you are list makers and you make lists of things to do. The problem with making lists, right, is most of the time our lists are too long. And we don't have time for everything. And they're all important. And there's this back and forth of how do I do this? And, and how do I get it all done? And, and what's most important? And what does God want me to do? Like there's all this confusion and pressure uh, to somehow sort out life. And, and as we've gone through the study in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's, he's looked at different things and pointed out different things in this world uh, of riches, of, of relationships, of, of accomplishments and authority and all these different things. And he's looked at them all and he said, meaningless. And I, I think that as we look at life, Life's getting more complicated. Some of us, uh, you know, 
we look on the internet and we see, you know, the worldwide web of worldwide, you know, chaos and and we we're inundated with all that. We we see on the the TV all these different things and it's so complicated and we get overwhelmed and we say, "Well, what am I supposed to be doing?" I think as we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, that question of what are we supposed to be doing is the very question that he wants to answer for us in this simple conclusion to the book of Ecclesiastes. Verse 13 says this, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Fear God. We'll start there. Most of us uh, have been exposed to churches like ours over and over again. We maybe grew up in a church like Fair Valley Church where they spoke of the love of God, that Jesus came and died for sinners, that there's forgiveness. And so the idea of fearing God, boy, that, that sounds wrong, doesn't it? Sounds wrong. Uh, I'll tell you that we've already gone over this two or three, four times in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said something similar to this idea of fearing God, fearing God and the purpose of that. If you look to the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again that God uh, brings his uh, fearful wrath, his judgment, his discipline, his holiness is offended. And so uh, as it's offended, there's a there's a response by a holy God, and, and even in the Old Testament, as you read through it, I I can I can think of different passages and places where uh, you look through it and it sounds too rough, it sounds sounds too violent, it's not family friendly, right? Uh, and and we get this idea that. God has to fit into our mold. And I want, I want you to get this. This idea of fearing God uh, seems wrong. And yet, as we look at the inspired word of God, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's a picture of right relationship with Him. Well, um, the simple answer of what we should be doing in life is fearing God and keeping his commandments. When you think of that word fear, there's all, all kinds of different fear, right? Uh, think of your favorite kind of fear right now. And when I say favorite, I'm just saying the one you go to most, you know, uh, the one you go to most. I think there's the fear of failure or the fear of safety or not being safe, the fear of loss of being insignificant, the fear of being hurt, the fear of looking foolish, the fear of being unhappy, the fear of missing out, the fear of sickness, the fear of loneliness, of being last, of being forgotten, the fear of the boogeyman, and the fear of man. Fear of man. There's others too, right? Some of you have come up with a, a, a list of some more. Some of you are better at thinking about a quick mind and you're thinking of list after list. There's tons of fears in this life. And those fears, what do they do? Well, 
they cause us to fear and feel uncomfortable inside. And then most of the time, they shape us. They shape us. If you're afraid of uh, somebody breaking into your house, sometimes people live in a gated community. You know, right? Or maybe get bars on your doors and windows, right? Or maybe uh, you have, you know, something to protect you in your home, an alarm system or firearms of some sort. You, you have a plan, right? Your fears shape you. Uh, if you are fearing being unhappy, uh, you're chasing after things that you think will make you happy. You're, you're, you're not allowing yourself to go there. If you fear being lonely, you're chasing after people, family, and friends to be with you because you don't want to be left alone. If you fear missing out, chances are you're saying yes to everything. And you go, I, I've got to get the best thing because I don't want to miss out. Uh, this is a struggle for uh, young people and young families. Parents, I don't want my son or daughter to miss out. So I'm just going to say yes. And I'm going to say yes over and over again. I don't want them to miss out. If you fear, uh, probably one of the great sin, sinful fears in the Bible, the fear of man, that we're fearing people's opinion. We're always asking the question, what will they think? What will they think? And they most likely has a name. We don't like to say it usually, but there's usually a particular person. We care what they think. You fear them. And those fears shape what you do. They shape what your priorities are. They shape where you spend money. It's where you spend your energy, your time, your thoughts, your activities. Those fears shape you. Well, uh, none of those fears were in the lists of things to do. None of them. There was a, a singular person, relationship that should matter most, and it says, fear God, fear God. And in, in the same way that those sinful fears shape us, this right fear should shape us as well, fearing God shape us. It should cause us to do some things and not do others. It should cause us to say yes to some things and no to others. It causes us to, to think about what God would think because He matters most. Fearing God, uh, like I said before, we've already talked about it in the book of Ecclesiastes three, four times. In the book of Proverbs, it starts out the book of Proverbs in chapter 1. And I think it's verse 7. It says, it says, fear God. And then it goes back to it two or three other times as things go on. The way to live is to fear God. And it's not fearing Him. Uh, there's this uh, uh, sometimes uncomfortable dance that we do with God when we see Him to be great and holy and just and a God of wrath, and a God that has a plan, it makes us uncomfortable. And we say, oh, no, I, I want to run away from God, just as Adam did in the garden. And yet, there's also a beauty that draws us in in that. That though it's uncomfortable, uh, we are in right relationship with Him because of His beauty. 
as we look at this, to fear God is to respect, honor, and worship Him. To respect, honor, and worship Him. It's to acknowledge Him for who He is. Some have said that the idea of reverent awe. Reverent awe. It's not about saying, oh, oh that's neat. God, you're neat. It's about seeing Him as something that takes your breath away. Seeing Him as something different than you've ever seen before. This uh, reverent awe or this uh, fearing Him comes from understanding who He is, His attributes. As best we can. I want to say that too, as best we can. Because uh, His attributes, His beauty, his, um, the things that He is, He's infinite and we're finite. He's pure and we're defiled to varying degrees in our thoughts and mind by the sin of this world, but also the sins that we've committed. Understanding his attributes as best we can and then dwelling upon them and thinking about them. And then as we understand and it should cause us to draw near without lowering the bar, right? Uh, Sometimes we struggle with this idea of thinking God would think like us, right? That that when we would look at, at the world and what's going on, that somehow God would have the same thoughts that we would have. Instead of the complete opposite of saying, most likely my thoughts are wrong and I need to understand who God is, how he looks upon the things that are going on in our world and not just in our world, but the things that are going on in my heart, my life, my family. It's to not treat uh, the God of the scriptures, the God of creation, the God of the God of the plan that he is uh, providing out to to consider him and to not treat him as common. We should consider his power, his power, what he has done. You see it in his word. We should consider uh, his mind, his plan, his wisdom, his holiness, his wrath, his control. I want to tell you this, and this is a subtle, subtle thing here. I'd ask that you'd consider this as well. You should also think through his grace and his mercy and his love. Sometimes we think, well, if God loves me, uh, I don't have to fear him. Like there's no, you know, we're just common and, you know, uh, it's not a big deal or all those things. I want to tell you, because of his overwhelming love, grace and mercy, it should cause us awe as well. It should cause us to fear him. It should cause us to approach him and to worship him in a different way, not as something Uh, Like everything else, right? It's interesting to me in the book of Romans, it says that his kindness leads us to repentance. Uh, His overwhelming love for sinful people is very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Uh, Most of the time when we think of human love one for another, we kind of have this idea, well, uh, you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. We're perfect for each other. Right? We're perfect for each other. 
And as we come before a holy God who's perfect in his wrath and his holiness and his power, he's also perfect in his love, his mercy and his grace. And, and that's different from us. And as we consider and as we see God for who he is, he gets lifted higher. He gets lifted higher above us, above us. And it causes the awe factor to go up. It causes our fear and, and this uh, flippant, flippancy to go away as we consider who he truly is, how he's described himself in his word. To consider this all and in our considering, draw near to him. Draw near to him. I want to just briefly, um, you, you may ask, well, how, how do I how do I do it? You know, how, how do I how do I fear God? How, how do I get there? I just want to give you just a few things, just a few things. Um, understand who he is. Seek to understand who he is. Uh, one of the great questions you can ask about every page of scripture, every page. Is how is God revealing himself to me? And when I say revealing himself to me, how these words tell me something, truth about who God is. You'll, you'll see it in the Old Testament as he uh, brings low his own people, his own people, and at other times uh, shows himself to be powerful against idols. You look at that and you say, well, what does that teach me about the God of Scripture? You, you look at... Uh, his love in the New Testament, you see Jesus going to the cross and you say, what does this tell me about the plan of God? Thinking about that, it's not just a bunch of details that don't mean anything. They're meant to reveal who God is. And so first thing to do uh, to grow in your fear of God is to understand who he is. I want to tell you, this is not uh, like we do uh, with our children here. Uh, we give them a blank sheet of paper and we give them the bucket of crayons and we say, do your best. Draw your own picture. This is a creative thing. By the way, uh, boys just use brown. They only need really brown crayons, right? They don't need, that, that's their favorite. Brown, maybe if they're really creative, brown and black, right? You know, and that thing right there. And We, we don't make God to who we want Him to be. We, we don't, this isn't a creative thing in our mind. Well, I think God should be like this. He's revealed himself in his word. And so it's a lifelong pursuit to understand who God is, how he's revealed himself. A secondary and less important, but an outgrowth of that same study is to understand who you are, who you are. And you say, well, I know who I am. I've lived with myself my whole life. Um, what this is, what this is, is a comparison. <laughs> Studying your holy God, the God of the scriptures, to understand who he is, and then to place who you are right next to him, right next to him. And to compare and contrast the differences. I want to tell you, 
uh, don't dwell on it, right? Uh, so sometimes it's super discouraging to dwell on yourself and your inadequacies. That's not the purpose here. The purpose is, is that we see him high and lifted up and we see ourselves as needy people before a holy God. What did we sing today? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. So we have a tough time singing that, don't you? Because you, you don't like the idea. You, you think, well, I got, I got my life taken care of. I got my schedule for the week. I've got things, plans, and ideas that are going on. I know what I'm going to do. And you come to church and we ruin your whole day. Lord, I need you. You know what I know about every person that's here today? You need You came here today, so I could tell you that. (laughs) For some of you are like, yeah, I knew that already. I didn't need to come today. I came here today to remind you, remind you of what you already knew. You need him. You need him. As we look at this, uh, we understand who he is. We understand who we are. And then you take your place. And think of him in his place. You take your place, and he takes his place. Think about that. He takes his place as God over all. He takes his place as the holy one that is to be worshipped. He takes his place as the one who makes the plans. And you take your place as the one who follows his plans. You take your place. This is what it looks like to fear God. And, and what this is, is in the midst of this complicated life, you just have the singular question. What does God want? What does God want from me? What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to think? What does he want me to participate in? What does he not want me to participate in? Fearing God. You take your place and he takes his. I purposely... Uh, slowed down and didn't read the second part. I believe that the second part is just an application of the first part. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. How is that fearing God? It's saying, God, you give the orders. I do the following. Uh, there, There are other people that are barking out orders as well, but I'm going to fear you. I'm going to listen for your voice. I'm going to consider your opinion. I'm not going to consider all the others that are trying to pressure and maneuver and manipulate me into doing what they want me to do. I'm not going to listen to those other fears. I'm not going to listen to my own fears. I'm going to fear you. And in doing that, I'm going to obey your commandments. There's a commercial, I believe it was for Gatorade. Uh, they've since moved on, I think, but uh, it says, obey your thirst. Obey your thirst. And the idea is, some of you are thirsty right now. I just said it, and now you're like, oh, yeah, I need to obey my thirst. We're working on getting better drinking fountains, by the way. Uh, um, obey your thirst. Um, 
And, and there's this thing out there, and it's really, uh, it, it, it's a draw on our flesh. It's, it's calling on us to uh, think as supreme uh, our fleshly urges, the things that we want to do, the things that our body cries out for. And so uh, when someone says, obey your thirst, you say, yeah, you know, God made me that way. I have to have a drink of water right now. I, I need this. I need my coffee or I need my latte or my boba or whatever that is. Uh, uh, I need this. I have to have it. I need to obey what my body is crying out for. Obey. Obey your thirst. Uh, others would say, you know, uh, you wouldn't say it this way, but the way you're living life is o- you're obeying your feelings. My feelings are inspired. My f- feelings are inspired. Uh, l- let me be real ca- careful here. Uh, your feelings are real. They're real. Uh, some of us, we, we're feeling one way and then we say something that's different, hoping that those feelings will go away and they won't be real, but they're still real. All I'm saying here is we may feel a certain way. Don't obey your feelings. They're most of the time wrong and they will lead you to sinful things. They're sometimes right and they'll get you there. But I want to tell you, push all those things aside. This is how I feel. You can acknowledge that. But to say this, I won't obey my feelings. I'll obey my God. Obey my God. He can be trusted. My feelings, uh, they've led me astray over and over and over again. Obey your feelings. Others of us would uh, think this through and we'd say, obey the weather, right? Well, what's going on? Love sun, so it's a sunny day. I'm happy today. I need to, you know, my day will follow what, what external things happen to me. If good things happen, if I get what I want, I, I'm just going to go with that. I have to obey. I want to tell you, don't obey the weather going to be some rotten days coming up. Um, and don't look outside to see if you're going to have a good day. Obey your God. Check in with Him. I know we have some medical people here today. and My mom was a nurse. And um, sometimes they say, listen to your body. Listen to your body. Your body will tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Don't do that. You know what your body's going to tell you? Quit. <laughs> Give up. Don't get out of bed. I want to tell you that, that, that there's, there's some good data you can get from your aches and pains, but I want to tell you there's more important data, and there's marching orders and protection for you. If you'll obey the commandments of your God who loves you so much, if you'll obey Him. As he continues on and he describes this, he tells us that this is the whole duty of man. Uh, I can say it another way by saying this. This is what manliness is. This is the essence of manliness. This is the essence of womanhood as you were designed for. This is all there is. There's nothing beyond this. The, the idea of, of getting it right is for you to fear God and to do what He says. 
That's the essence for you and for me, for what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a man. We're, we're struggling to find meaning and purpose and what we were designed for, and he laid it out for us. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty. This is what life is all about. And lastly, uh, the reminder uh, that after we live this life, after this life that was granted to us by our God creator, the one shepherd, in a response to what he has done for us, uh, we will answer to him for what he has granted. In verse 14, the last verse in, in this book, it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We live in a world today uh, much like, the, at least the heart of it, in the day that where the book of Ecclesiastes was written. But uh, it, it's the favorite poison, it's the favorite drink that we drink now is the idea of how you portray yourself. It's just your image that you have out there. The secret things are secret, right? They're, they're not for anybody to see. It doesn't matter who you are behind closed doors. And he, he gives us this last thing. He calls us to fear him and uh, to keep his commandments. But he says, in all these things, in all these things, know this. that The days and moments and the opportunities that you have, there's an, we answer to a holy God for them. We answer to him. And so as we live this day, it's not about dwelling on your failures of the past, but it's asking, God, what do you want me to do? And if you're struggling with that, to say this, what would I want to answer to God for? What would he want me to do? And would I want to speak to him about this and to work that through? I want to tell you there's much grace because of Jesus. But know this, that he has called us into right relationship with him. And right relationship with him is not going about doing whatever we want to do. It's walking with him. It's loving him. It's fearing him. It's obeying him. This is what it is to follow after your creator. The grace that comes found in his son, that we would walk with him. Please join with me in prayer. God, thank you uh, for your grace that you've sent us in your son, Jesus, that you, as part of your plan, knowing that we would um, not just be failures, but that in our sinful weakness, in our being born into sin, that we would chase after, just as our forefathers have, chase after sinful things that would not satisfy and bring death to our life. God, we thank you uh, for the grace of the gospel. We thank you for the instruction of your word. We thank you that in the midst of all this chaos, that you can bring us a simple message that we need to be in right relationship with you, following after what you have said. God, I ask that you give us a sweet, relentless pursuit of knowing who you are, that we would be accurate in in how we understand who you are and what you've revealed about yourself, but also that you would, in light of who you are, help us to see ourselves clearly as well. God, thank you 
uh, for your grace to us. Thank you for allowing us to be your worshipers. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Please join us in fellowship time. See you next week.